You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. And once again, I, Dave Griffiths, am the only one who is actually at the office. Joe came back for a week and he's like, nah, done with that. Forget it. <laughs> and I'm taking off. So Joe Hopkins here, as is Mike Chappell. Uh, joining uh, joining us all virtually to get you another Colts Blue Zone podcast. And uh, guys, another uh, busy week just news-wise. Um, a couple of Colts topics, obviously, we'll get to today. We'll talk a little bit about the most impactful um sizing up the division entering 2020, but uh, certainly a busy week across the NFL, and that uh, pertains to us here in Indianapolis as well. Um, first of all, off the docket, uh, GM Chris Ballard of the Colts is the recipient of the Pro Football Writers Association Jack Horgan Award. And you at home have probably never heard of this, but uh, we in the media have because it is presented annually to a league or team official who aids pro football writers in better doing their job. So Chris, certainly uh, Mike has always been a benefit to us. He's maybe not not always open as no GM is with everything that he's doing, but he seems to be and has always been at least honest with the media when he's not telling us something or when he is answering, you figure that he's uh, he's shooting you straight. Yeah, the, the, the issue we always have in the media is with teams, whether it's pro teams or college teams, but since we're talking pro teams, there's a built-in us versus them mentality. Uh, I remember having a – back in the day, we, we had a meeting – when was it the newspaper? We had a meeting with Bill Tobin, a uh, long time or you know, long time ago, GM. And one thing he said, "You're either for us or you're against us." And that's the mentality. It wasn't, you know, no. Now it's easier if you win and then lose. So, so what we want is more access is better. And the Colts have done a very good job with Matt Conti and his PR staff with giving us access, particularly during this pandemic. But throughout the years, GMs do not like talking that much with the media. They want things kept in house, whether that was Bill Tobin, Bill Pullian, Ryan Grigson. That's just, and it's just us in ours. Other franchises have, have their own horror stories. But Chris Ballard has taken the approach that he understands we have a job to do. And he, for the most part, he's given us pretty good access and transparency. And it, it, it's along the lines of, again, more information is better. Bill Pullian always used to, always used to complain that oh, there's misinformation out there because we talk to agents and players and would say, well, then talk to us. So now there, there, are, there are certainly some, some issues that Chris Ballard has not, you know, gone very deep into, but he's been very good. And just think of all in, in his three-plus years what he's had to deal with. You know, Andrew Luck in 17, all of a sudden not there. 18, you got Josh McDaniels. In 19, you got Andrew Luck's retirement. And on and on and on. And in virtually every instance, we've had pretty good access and, and very detailed information about what went on. Maybe not in real time about when it was happening, but shortly thereafter. So and one of the things that those of us in the media have really appreciated it was the last two years, not this year yet, but the last two years we've had a post-draft informal meeting with Ballard where he'll bring in us and he'll show us film clips and evaluations and talk about why we did this, why we're doing that. And it just gives you some information and background on what you're covering, and that helps your coverage 
and that helps the fan base. The NFL has also canceled the Hall of Fame game, annual first preseason game. Um, that's just coming out, I, I believe it was today. It's at least the first I saw it, uh, between uh, Dallas Cowboys and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And also, uh, Mike, once again, Edger and James has waited so long to be in the Hall of Fame. The league has postponed the enshrinement ceremony until 2021. So Edge, even though he has been elected to the Hall of Fame, is going to have to wait an entire new year, entire another year to be uh, actually physically enshrined into the hall. So uh, he's waited so long already. I'd, I'd imagine since he's in, it, it won't be so bad. But nevertheless, come on, man. Ed, Edge has been waiting long enough. Well, and what's funny is, and he even put it out there, I mentioned my story posting today is that that's going to allow he and Peyton to go, in, to go in at the same time. Peyton will be a no-doubt Hall of Famer next year, first ballot. So he and, he and Edge are going to sort of share the weekend for Colts fans. And who knows? If if things line up, maybe Reggie Wayne makes it a makes it a, a trio, which probably won't happen. But uh, yeah, th and this is on, on a national basis, and more important nationally. Unless I'm missing something, this is the first issue, the first event that the NFL has had to totally cancel or postpone because of the COVID nineteen. And I'm not going to go too far out on the limb when I say that. This won't be the last. I, th I think this is – we've talked before that the, the NFL has had time on its side throughout this offseason as far as adjusting, holding things virtually, the draft, free agency, and all that. Well, very quickly, they're going to have to make decisions on what do we do with reporting for training camp, you know, late July, four preseason games, or do you cut it to two in the regular season, so – this might be the, the tip of the iceberg on what's going to happen with the NFL schedule. Yeah, Joe, kind of chiming in there about what, what Mike had to say. I mean, we, we've mentioned so long that the NFL is in the catbird seat here, but uh, now is really when the fire is being uh, being put to your feet a little bit, that decisions have to be made. And um, I guess the league thought that right now that just the logistics were not quite in place to get teams in a building or in a facility on time to have enough time to get ready for that first game. I think what it was was the uh, the Steelers and the Cowboys were supposed to report to training camp like a week before the rest of the NFL was because they had this early preseason game. But just just like I said, the logistics weren't quite in place for them to be able to do it. Yeah, and I'll, you know, kind of jump the gun on the rundown a little bit here with, you know, the NFLPA recommending that players stop their voluntary workouts together. If they can't even do the voluntary workouts together right now, what's going to change in a month's time when training camp rolls around? I, I don't see how things between now and then are going to be that much different. So as just solely a fan of the game, I'm starting to sweat a little bit and get real nervous that football may not happen or it may not be the the product that we're used to. It's really interesting. And I, I, I don't want to get into a full-fledged, obviously, discussion of the pandemic. But at the beginning, it seemed like every everything was designed toward, obviously, slowing down um, the, the pace of this disease spreading and giving healthcare systems enough time to develop their own logistics and their own support to handle things. And, and even from the beginning, everything was, you know what, a vaccine probably won't be ready for 18 months or something like that, or at least a year. So you're, you're still getting to this point, which is going to be August, which is late August like, or early September, let's say. Let's say early September, because that's six months after really this hit. 
in in early early March. That the idea of having a vaccine was never really an option by the start of football season, but you still keep progressing forward like you're going to have a season. So you, you never really think that a vaccine is going to be in place before the season. You think that people are still going to catch the disease and people are still going to be affected by it. And we've seen that in sports that have started up. We've seen it in the PGA Tour, several different a player and a couple caddies just this last week were diagnosed with COVID-19. They stepped out of the event that's coming this weekend. But I, I guess, I guess, Mike, that there's something intrinsically, obviously, very different between an NFL team and the PGA Tour in the sense that, hey, if one person on the PGA Tour catches it, you really don't have all that much contact with everyone else who's out there. With NFL, if you have just one player or one staff member who, who catches it, they immediately get contact with whether it's 50 or 90 other people on the roster and 30 more people on the coaching staff, 50 to 100 more people behind the scenes who are in the support staff. It's something that with the NFL, it could progress much quicker than it could with something like, like a NASCAR, which has smaller teams that interact with each other, or a PGA Tour that has smaller groups of people that interact with each other. So they're, they're, as we've said from the beginning, there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered. And right now, just the NFL seems to be pushing back the timeline a little bit with us seeing the final results or the results of those questions that we still have out there. Yeah, they're going to have every protocol in place and every contingency in place possible as far as to, to avoid the infection. They've talked about having players six feet apart in the locker room, which is fine. But but these are 90 players who are going to practice for two hours in, in a contact sport. So I, I it seems to be counterproductive. And the one thing that I'll, I'll keep harping on and harping on, and until and to me this is this is the bullet point that the NFL simply has got to determine, uh, keeping it locally. If T.Y. Hilton tests positive, then, then the procedure is testing, tracing, and quarantine. So you test, and then tracing who was T.Y. Hilton in contact with. Okay, let, let's say just the receivers room which isn't realistic because it's everybody on offense. Okay, so for, for two weeks, do, do you quarantine Colts receivers? What if it's Phillip Rivers? You, you quarantine the, the quarterbacks? Worse than that, offensive line. So I, I until they decide or determine how you, ha, how you proceed with positive tests, and there will be positive tests, there simply will be. How do you go forward into a season when, with the possibility of of the Colts losing their offensive line for the Jacksonville opener? I don't know how you do it. And we've seen – I also I'll point out that there's one kind of more local connection to a positive test, and that's Pacers guard Malcolm Brogdon, who just tested positive this week. And, and, and there's you, – you see some people, some talking heads respond like, hey, thank God it happened now that he can get better by the time that you go down to Orlando. I think that's maybe a little, well, if if you're going to catch it, then maybe. But I, I just think it's it's a little bit harsh to say, hey, it's a good thing he caught it now. You know, it, it just it just sits a little weird with me. Uh, but I, I, I thought there was a, I thought there was a, a report that remember Von Miller? Yes. Uh, contract this early. I, I don't want to say it was in March or April. I can't think of what it was. He got through it, but then he, he had some residual fatigue and, and not being back in shape. So, again, who knows? First of all, everybody's going to probably react differently to having a positive test 
but but how how does it impact you a week or two later? I I, I just think we're coming to the time like like we talked about where there's going to be hard decisions to be made. This is the first one, but like you said with with Brogdon, will he be ready when they start? I think he, I, think I saw a report that he plans on reporting. I guess. But there's so many uncertainties moving forward in the Hall of Fame situation just kind of magnifies that it, the time is running out on the NFL to sort of bide its time until decisions have to be made. And, and as Joe pointed out, the the NFLPA is kind of even kicking the can down the road a little bit by saying, uh, hey, players, don't hold your private workouts together. We want you to be healthy at the arrival of training camp. After that, we'll see what happens. That, that there's They're really not making any decisions after that. But right now, the NFLPA has said, hey, we recommend you don't do that. You don't work out together. But, but Joe, once again, as we were talking right before we turned things on, I mean, we still saw video of Tom Brady throwing some Tampa Bay Buccaneer new teammates uh, over the weekend anyway after this announcement from the NFLPA. So it, it, it's, it's a recommendation. It is not an order from the NFLPA saying don't work out. There's a chance we might still see some more teams and players out there putting in some work. Yeah, I, I kind of have a feeling not a whole lot of players are going to listen to that. Uh, listen to that recommendation. You know the competitive side of all these professional athletes out there. They're going to want to go in, get those reps, especially players on new teams, quarterbacks on new teams trying to learn their receivers. They're going to want to do what they can to get ready and win come fall because this virus is scary, but I have a feeling a lot of these guys, the thing at the front of their mind is still winning a championship. Mm -hmm. And one thing we haven't really touched on much that's going to come up more and more, who is it, Malcolm Jenkins? Uh, Saint safety is talking about that he's, he doesn't feel comfortable perhaps playing under these circumstances, and that may happen in the NBA. And what happens if a handful of players on your team, you know, they're not comfortable being at home, going into the complex, congregating with 90 other, 150 other people considering coaches, and then going home? And how, how, you know, comfortable will teams be to allow players to go back to their homes, not knowing where, you know, the, the, what their son or their wife have been that day. So it, it's there's just so many variables that had to be considered, and that's why I, I I'm kind of like you, Dave. I, 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 the the deeper we get, or with Joe, the deeper we get closer to the season, there are questions. I don't know how they come up with the right answers. Well, that's enough pandemic talk, at least for me, for one for one podcast. We, we've you're, sick, you're sick of it, huh? Exactly. Ha, ha, ha. I get it. Well done. <laughs> um, but uh, more, more news just from the past week uh, in the NFL and in the Colts in particular. Uh, Jim Irsay and the franchise taking um, steps forward to kind of combat or deal with uh, racism, social injustice, with the Colts creating a new staff position, the Director of Diversity, Equity, and inclusion, and the individual here will work across all internal departments on social responsibility, hiring, supplier diversity, education, and training. Also, the creation of the Ursay Family Impact Scholarship, each year selecting one minority student for a uh, cost of a four-year education to IU, which is the alma mater of Casey and uh, Kaylin, two of uh, Jim Ursay's daughters. So, um, and also formally recognizing and celebrating Juneteenth, which I'll admit, guys, I'd never heard of Juneteenth until this year. But now now it's out there and it's obviously a, a, an important date in, in the history of this country. Um, so I, I don't feel like we need to get into it too much. But nevertheless, all, all of those three things um, 
like I said, the cult's taking these steps to, to, to deal with racism, deal with social injustice. But I'll also throw this out there, Mike, that the NFL has had stuff like the Rooney Rule in place for a long time with, um, hey, you have to interview uh, a, a minority candidate for, for your position. That doesn't mean that teams are going to hire a more minority candidate eventually. I believe it's three NFL teams right now have, a, have an African-American head coach and out of 32, so it's like 10%, and maybe 70% or so of players in the NFL are African Americans themselves or are black players. So it, it just just because you have rules and systems in place, like doesn't always mean they're followed. So so now now the thing comes, hey hey follow them and, and make changes. So it's a good first step. It's not an ultimate step, at least in my mind. Maybe I'm just being pessimistic looking at this, and I'll fully uh, I'll. I'll I'll, I'll admit that, that maybe I'm being pessimistic, but at the same time, you, you, you celebrate things that are small steps toward change. At the same time, it's it's not the ultimate sign of change, I don't think. Not not in my mind, at least. One thing with the Rooney Rule, and I remember talking to Tony Dungy about this. I'm not sure what the high point of minority hiring was, where there was six coaches at the same – I don't know if there were seven or not. But I always talked to Tony about it. Because teams, it was so obvious teams would do this dog and pony show to where they would, they know who they know who they want. He's a white coach. He's he's the guy that's been recycled two or three times, and to 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 meet the Rooney Rule requirements, they will have almost a sham of an interview with a minority, even though they know they're going to hire whomever. And Tony said, "Yes, that goes on." He said, "But it was so important." For that minority coach to be in the process, to be in the room, to understand what the what the questions were and, and how it went, uh, I don't know how you legislate who an owner is going to hire in that position as a GM. Uh, and I, again, and, and until that changes, I'm not sure what does change because unfortunately we still have the, the good old boys thing where it, it's a lot of the same guys come up over and over again. And the Colts, I'll tell you, one thing with Jim Irsay, with, we talked about the, the, the diversity steps they've taken and, and, and the Rooney Rule and all that. I've always thought they've been out front, out in front of most of these moves. They, they've been very aggressive. You know, Tony Dungy is followed by Jim Caldwell as head coach. They, they, they've always had more than the, the, the league average of assistant coaches. So I, 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 I applaud the Colts for that. As far as the league goes, it's almost like a problem. I don't know how you, you, you solve it until you get to the core of the owners in, in sort of mandating who they hire, which I don't know how you ever do. Now shift our attention to what will be the bulk of this Colts blue zone podcast, talking a little bit about the off season and looking around the AFC South as to the changes here on the Colts division. Um, we will run down some moves that each team has made, and we will discuss our most impactful. We've got a top five impactful moves from each of the AFC South teams. So uh, we will start, as is tradition, as is expected, with the Indianapolis Colts. Plenty of both free agency moves, uh, free agency subtractions, and also players in the draft class brought in, and quite the sizable draft class after uh, Chris Ballard went a little wheeling and dealing here and there to increase his stock. 
Uh, by the way, happy birthday to Chris Bauer this week. Uh, Colts general manager had his birthday on uh, Wednesday, I believe it was. Uh, Chris, uh, both both you guys, uh, I saw something funny on Twitter, and uh, it was somebody responded to uh, the Colts tweet that was uh, um, happy birthday to Chris Ballard. Somebody said something like, he traded this year's birthday for two next year. <laughs> love them graphics. Exactly. I love them, I love them birthdays. So I, I found that humorous, and I knew you guys would too as well. But um, let, let's look at some of the things that Chris Ballard and the Colts front office have done this year. If we're looking at top five, uh, we'll, we'll run down their kind of entire list that Joe put together, and then we'll give our top fives. Um, maybe the other teams will just do top fives, depending on how much time we have at the end of the day. But um, the Colts probably uh, a little bit more pertinent to, to list uh, everything that's on the list right here. And this is uh, this is at least the vast, vast majority of what has happened this offseason for the Colts. Veteran additions, uh, the trade for DeForest Buckner, obviously. First round pick sent to San Francisco, an all-pro defensive tackle comes to the Colts. Phillip Rivers, $25 million free agent signing, one year. Will it be two years or three years? Well, we'll see about that. Xavier Rhodes, Pro Bowl cornerback, three Pro Bowls, I believe, in his career. Rhodes is now on his uh, on, on the Colts, and he really replaces a subtraction, which is Pierre Desir, who uh, left in uh, – did the Colts cut him? I can't remember. They did, yeah. He was cut. Yeah, it wasn't a free agent. He was signed just a year or two ago, a three-year deal, and yeah, uh, he was cut. Uh, TJ Carey comes in, a guy who has slot corner experience. Um, Colts were really down on slot corners last year after Kenny Moore got hurt in particular near the end of the season. Uh, the Colts also let Quincy Wilson go via trade, uh, dealt Quincy Wilson away, um, another cornerback. So that was a lot of work, a lot of movement there in the, uh, in the secondary, uh, Sheldon day, another defensive tackle from San Francisco coming in to the fold, Trey Burton at tight end. The Colts hope he replaces uh, at least some of the production that Eric Ebron had. And for the first time in a long time, the Colts have a fullback on their roster signing free agent Roosevelt Nix. And uh, two more uh, subtractions that I'll, that, I'll, that I'll mention right now is Marcus Hunt, defensive tackle. Um, also, Jabal Sheard, defensive end. And quarterback Brian Hoyer uh, there as well with uh, players who are no longer on the roster. So all that. And then you get to the draft class. You have players in the second round, such as Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor that the Colts hope produce more explosive plays, big plays on offense. Julian Blackman in the third round, safety out of Utah, a guy that uh, is likely not going to see action for some time, recovering from an ACL tear. Round four, a very intriguing pick, a quarterback, Jacob Eason out of Washington. Uh, round five, one of Chris Ballard's favorite players in this draft, it sounded like whenever we're talking to him, Danny Pinter, guard out of Ball State. He'll add some depth on the front. In round six, four picks for the Colts. Robert Windsor, defensive tackle, Penn State. Isaiah Rogers, defensive ba defensive back out of Massachusetts. Uh, Desmond Patman, wide receiver out of Washington State. And Jordan Glasgow, linebacker out of Michigan. So that's a quick rundown of the Colts' offseason moves, certainly the most uh, significant moves, if we're not counting uh, the free agent rookie signing of Syracuse graduate Kendall Coleman, a uh, defense <laughs> Got, got to bring him in as well. Um, but nevertheless, uh, if we ex exclude uh, the addition of Kendall Coleman as well, the, the top five most significant uh, picks, um, let, let, let's start from, from me at the top. I think number one, Mike, has to be Phillip Rivers. As great as DeForest Buckner is as an all-pro guy, 
You can't get more significant than changing the quarterback of your franchise and bringing in a guy who's a multiple-time Pro Bowl guy to be at least the bridge between what you had and what you hope to have in the future. Correct. Go ahead and do your all your five. I'll do my full five. I'll do my full yeah. five. That's about, yeah, I can do that. Uh, I had Philip Rivers number one. I, I, I was looking for confirmation, and, and I'm glad I got it, even briefly. You know, so. Yes. Yes, we have Philip Rivers is my number one. I think it's the most significant move of the offseason. DeForest Buckner is number two. Whenever you trade away your first-round pick, that's significant. If you bring in an all-pro guy, that's significant. So those guys are one and two on my list. Number three, I really go back and forth between Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor. Um, So I'll, I'll just combine them into three, um, trying to say to bring in two guys that that you want to have explosive playmakers on offense um, uh, on on your roster. So uh, you bring in two guys who you hope to have a significant impact. Uh, Pittman is certainly significant as a big-bodied wide receiver that Phillip Rivers is going to uh, ha- is used to in his career. It's a position the Colts really didn't have last year, uh, at least not significantly for a long period of time. Um, my fourth is. Uh, I, I have just a kind of a question mark at four, and that is leadership on defense. That's something that Chris Ballard said in his end of season press conference last year that he felt the team lacked, especially down the stretch. There was no Al Woods in the locker room to uh, kind of uh, to be a guy that can straighten things out. There was no Mike Mitchell in the locker room, a guy who can, uh, who has the respect of other players around him who can say what he has to say and say what's on his mind and be listened to. And, uh, things can change because of that. You have guys that are great defensive players like a Darius Leonard or a Justin Houston and even a Kenny Moore, but how many of them are that veteran leader guy that has that kind of clout in the locker room? It's something that Ballard said lacked last year. And I don't know that the Colts have that right now because you bring back a lot of the same players, but the guys that you have brought in from elsewhere, DeForest Buckner, he's young. He's 26. Sheldon Day, he's young. I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's not old. Xavier Rhodes is probably in his late 20s or early 30s. So if he's the guy that you're looking for, and I think even Kenny Moore referred to him as like, they he hopes he can be like a Mike Mitchell guy that, um, that can teach everybody in the locker room and on the defensive side of the ball, um, whatever it is he needs to teach them. I just don't know if Xavier Rhodes is the guy. Can you put everything on Xavier Rhodes coming in to be exactly what Chris Ballard wanted with the defensive unit, everything that was missing with the defensive unit? Eh, I don't know about that. Um, maybe he is, but um, from from what I know about Xavier Rhodes and uh, it's it's more than some, less than others. I mean, I covered him when he was at Florida State, and I worked in Tallahassee. He wasn't the most outspoken guy there. He was a good player. He was a really good player, obviously, to be able to be a first-round pick in the NFL. But I, I just don't know if he's exactly what you're looking for. Maybe you need some other guys to step up. So my fourth part is kind of did they did they solve that problem? And, and I just don't know, you know whether they did or not. And my, my fifth uh, most significant move from the offseason, I go with Jacob Eason, quarterback, uh, in the fourth round, because uh, Philip Rivers isn't going to be your quarterback forever. And I don't know if Jacob Eason's going to be your quarterback forever. I don't think he's going to be your quarterback forever, but he could certainly prove me wrong. And if he does prove me wrong, then obviously that move goes way up the important scale in this offseason. 
So I, I think you have to I, – I, I wanted to include it at least at the bottom of my top five list to say, you know what, this could be really significant down the road, even if it's likely and hopefully, honestly, not going to be significant for this year and likely next year. But as we look back on this offseason, there's a good chance that the acquisition, the draft of Jacob Eason – well, I won't say a good chance. Not that's, that's not correct. There is a chance that the acquisition of Jacob Eason – in the draft is is a highly significant move for this franchise moving forward. So that, that's my top five in terms of significance and moves from this offseason. Uh, Mike, we'll go to you and then Joe, uh, we'll get your thoughts and we will tell each other after that how ridiculous our, uh, our positions are. I'll marry you on one and two. Rivers, to me, he, he he's number one and there's a big gap to number two to Buckner. Rivers has to work. The decision to bring in Rivers has got to work. You like you said, you you've decided that that Jacoby Brissett wasn't good enough, and you're hooking your 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 train now to a 38 year old quarterback who's coming off a somewhat of a down season. I mean, some quarterbacks that take 23 and 20 and 4,000 yards and that bad not bad an eye, but that was a down season. And if Rivers works, he's here for two years, and this team's back in the playoff hunt for two years. If not. You go back to Jacoby Brissett and say, yeah, you know, we really like you, Jacoby. So that has to work, and you give him $25 million. And we talked before, the reason it wasn't a two-year deal to start with is they're, they're not going to give him 50 or $60 million guaranteed like Tampa gave Tom Brady. So it works. Buckner being number two, again, there for Chris Bowder to give up the 13th overall pick in the draft, it tells you the value they put on a three-technique tackle that they haven't had here since – I'll say Booger McFarland for a year, but this guy, this guy will be, this guy needs to be the best defensive tackle that Colts have had in their in the era, and maybe he will be. And again, he's 26, so if, if he's the answer, you've got a guy for six, eight, ten years that's going to be the anchor for your team. My number three is Anthony Costanzo's extension. Uh, it, it, it's it, it gives the continuity, but I go back to the fact if if that didn't happen and he retires, what? What have you got? Who's your left tackle? Uh, Raven Clark. Uh, so, so I, I, I just think that Costanzo returning what was a two-year extension, I believe it was. He gives you that continuity at the most. I understand we're all Quentin Nelson. I understand pancakes and yeah. And Pro Football Focus has he's the best offensive lineman, not not guard, offensive lineman in the NFL right now. Okay. I still, I'm not going to say he's just a guard. He's a guard. Give me a left tackle. Give me, give me a high quality left tackle and my quarterback will sleep a lot better. So AC being back is, is my third number three or is, is yeah, he's, he's number three. And then number four, I'm with you on the Taylor Pittman. And I'm going to put, I'm going to separate them because I don't want to go too much further down. I'm going to put Pittman at four because I think they are so in need of that compliment to T.Y. Hilton. Uh, if, if, if it's not Pittman, then who is it? Let's say Pittman's not drafted. Then look at your receiver collection and see what you've got, and it just doesn't work. It wasn't deep enough last year, as it turns out, with the, with the injuries, which I, I contended. I'm not sure how you could have prepared for those injuries. But Pittman, if he can be what they anticipate, he's going to take a lot of load off of T.Y. 
And I think the, the Colts rookie record for receptions by a rookie, I believe, is 65 or 66 by Bill Brooks. I, I think Pittman's got a chance of, of, of contending for that, for that record. And then to, I put Taylor fifth only because if he's not here, you've still got Marlon Mack. So I still think you've got a pretty robust running game with, with, with Mack and Hines and Wilkins. But boy, Taylor, he could really add some, some pop. The, probably the one thing that was missing from the running game last year were more explosive plays. Mack gave him some. But, uh, again, I, we'll talk about this as the season gets going, we hope. I got to see how they, they, they hand out the, the carries between Mack and Taylor because you talk to any running back uh, of any ilk, and they want the ball. They need to have X number of carries to get into the groove. How they do that, we'll see. So, again, it's, for me, it's Rivers, Buckner, A.C., Pittman, and, and Jonathan Taylor. And we'll, now we'll let Joe uh, give us his, his top five. Yeah, I kind of looked at it a little bit differently, which is great because it makes for better conversation. I kind of looked at it as top five additions or subtractions that will have an impact on this year. That's why Costanza wasn't on mine because, you know, he's been on the team, so he wasn't really a new addition or subtraction. Um, I had Rivers Buckner 1-2 for all the reasons you guys said. Um, Then I had Jonathan Taylor third just because – uh, I think there's a very good possibility he tops 1,000 yards this year. Um, I think he could take that job as the 1A from Mac by midseason. Um, I have Pittman 4. And then for my fifth one, I had the swap of Pierre Desir for Xavier Rhodes. That other starting cornerback spot, how does that experiment? You know, Rhodes has had a couple down years. Former Pro Bowler, but he's 30 years old now. Had a couple down years. Can he bounce back? Can he at least give you what Desir um, was providing you when he was healthy? I think that second uh, outside cornerback starting position will be impactful during the season. Um, I guess on to the next question now, guys. Hey, I think one, 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 one thing, Joe. It, 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 you brought it up, and I wrote about it earlier in the week with uh, Taylor and, and, and Marlon Mack. You think Taylor may rush for 1,000 yards? This was this would could be similar to 2006 if you remember when the Colts took Joseph Adai. Remember, Edron James is gone. They draft Joe Adai in the first round at number 30, I think it was, and their veteran was Dominic Rhodes. And Dominic Rhodes, the veteran, started all 16 games. Yet they brought along Joe Adai, and Joe Adai became is still the only player in league history to not start a game and rush for a thousand yards. When the playoffs start, a die takes over, and they can say what they want about the second half against the Patriots, what Manning did. If not for the defense and the running game, they don't win the Super Bowl. So they're going to try to kind of go back to the future and have this running game. But uh, there, is, there is a blueprint for what they're going to try to do. Absolutely, and I think it could work. I mean, I don't expect – and I think Mac is still going to be impactful as well. He's not going to just go away as long as he's healthy. I mean, he's a quality running back, and they're going to keep them both involved. They're going to keep both guys fresh. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibilities of both running backs hitting 1,000 yards. I don't think it's likely, but I think it could happen. So I think Jonathan Taylor is going to have a major impact. Um, but it was a hard decision between him and Pittman because, like you said, without Pittman, there's a major hole at that number two wide receiver spot. Um, so I just found all that interesting. 
Um, I think it's pretty obvious. Next question on here is the Colts better or worse on paper? I think they obviously got better on paper. And then um, as far as record predictions, which will kind of tie into the rest of our conversation about the rest of the AFC South, I think 11 of five is what the Colts are looking at if they stay healthy. Um, I think they have a quality team, and I think they're the best team in the AFC South right now. I'll start calling you blue uh, for being a homer. I, I go 10 I go ten and 6. Uh, again, I think this is, this is a better team, much better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be beating this drum all season. If Rivers is, is what they want him to be and need to be, he doesn't need to throw for 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns. He doesn't. He needs to make those half a dozen plays in a game that Brissett could not make last last year. So, uh, but I think ten and six is, is realistic. I, I, again, I think you, you need to take take care of business in the division because Jacksonville is going to be god awful. They are, but you got you got to hold serve against Houston and, and Tennessee. You got to win Week One at Jacksonville, which, Bingo. which you don't do. I know you got to go down there and, and and make a statement Week One. I do not want to go down to Jacksonville again, like I have I think two of the past three years, and come back like, uh, oh my goodness. That you was, don't think it'd be, it wouldn't be good to open up by getting Minshewed in Jacksonville? I, I think that would be less than ideal <laughs> for the 2020 season. I don't know, maybe that's just me. But no, Joe, I agree with you that the um, the, the Colts certainly got better. Um, I, I I think eleven moves, uh, eleven wins, by the way, is uh, very uh, optimistic. I'll just put it that way. But which is fine. You're allowed to be optimistic. Well, okay, y'all saying I'm a homer for eleven and five, but then Mike says ten and six. That's one game difference. I don't see. You're more of a homer than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. You know, but again. Again, we all agree that it's a better roster. They went seven and nine last year with again what we all agree was an inferior roster. And if they make four kicks by, by the guy who who Joe will not name, uh, they're ten and six and in the playoffs. Well, the Houston Texans did make the playoffs last year uh, along with the Tennessee Titans, but we'll start with the Texans. Um, and like I said, we we don't have to mention every single one of these uh, additions and subtractions here. But uh, we'll, we'll go top five impactful moves. I think that we will all be in agreement that the most impactful move for the Houston Texans of this offseason was uh, releasing Lamar Miller running. No, I'm just kidding. He was released, <laughs> uh, getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins, at wide receiver. I mean, as Mike has said in the past on this podcast, it, it, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better wide receiver in the NFL than Hopkins if you're going to start a – team a franchise your wide receiver one if it's not julio it might be hopkins um and even though even between those two you might want to take hopkins number one he's just a just a special receiver but then you trade him away and it's like uh okay so in replacement like if that's if that's the most significant move trading away uh deandre hopkins then you better bring in a wide receiver to 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 help him out to help out Deshaun uh, Deshaun Watson. So Brandon Cooks ha- had better work, or Randall Cobb. I don't I don't think Randall Cobb <laughs> at all. So it's got to be Brandon Cooks. He's got better work um, there at wide receiver. Um, running back as well. The Lamar Miller experiment's finally done. Uh, David Johnson, I think David Johnson is 31 or 32, and we all know running backs past the age of 30, not named Adrian Peterson, don't have a very good shelf life in the NFL. 
Um, so it's it's a risky, risky move to bring in David Johnson. Joe, are you going to say something? Well, it, it seems like he's been around forever, but he is 28. He is? That's it? I thought he was 30. Yep, he turned 28 in December. My bad. Did, didn't he miss us two seasons ago, last season, with a with the knee? Two seasons yeah, ago? He, he hasn't played a full season since 2016. So it's been a lot of injuries, a lot of uh, a lot of waiting on David Johnson, but not a lot of production as of late. I just I just think I I'd love to have been a fly on a wall when when someone called Deshaun Watson and said, uh, by the way, we're we're trading DeAndre, you're you're, you're you're all pro receiver. He says, no, really, what are we doing? I just it, it's so hard. We've talked. It, it's so hard to get to acquire elite talent. It really is, and with Watson, with JJ Watt. With Hopkins, and then to, he, he, I just looked up. He's 28. He's 28 years old. That, that's that's not old by receiver standpoint at, at all. So I just I, I and then you've got the Bill O'Brien factor at Houston. So I I don't if if you trust the Houston Texans to repeat as division champs, good for you. No, I certainly don't. Another significant move I think is just rehab, revamping their secondary. I'm sure T.Y. Hilton will be disappointed to see Jonathan Joseph and Tayshawn Gibson go. But don't worry, Jonathan Joseph did not go far. We'll get to that in a second. Um, and then probably a significant move in the uh, the first pick that the Texans had this year was in the second round. I believe they traded uh, their first round pick from this past season to get. Was that the Laramie Tunsil? Nah, was that the Laramie Tunsil deal? Cause I, think I believe so. They didn't have it a couple years ago because of the uh, Deshaun Watson deal but i think yeah last year was tunsil yeah that was one of miami's three first rounders right so uh so ross blacklock was their first pick he's a defensive tackle out of tcu and you hope you get some um some good production out of him uh, and the interior defense and uh, along with jj uh, watt on the line and uh, just just kind of plug him in there he's probably the one that you'd expect to play the most jonathan greenard out of florida and edge rusher as well uh, probably more of a pass rushing specialist, at least early on in his career. So, nevertheless, uh, those are the, my more significant moves. Anything else stand out to you guys from what the Texans? Yeah, and, and, and again, I think that with with the fact that they still have some star power on defense and with, with Watson, I, they should be a team where their their bottom line is an is an eight and eight, with the possibilities of getting better if things fall their way. So eight and eight, nine, seven, ten and six, we're going to have the same discussion with the Colts. Houston and Tennessee all going to be bunched in that eleven and five with Joe. They, they they should all be in that in that area, depending on how how they avoid injuries and how certain games go. So th- this should be a three team discussion in the AFC South. I did want to add that uh, the loss of DJ Reader nose tackle is not an insignificant one. Um, he's one of Pro Football Focus's highest rated defensive tackles last year with an eighty six. Uh, overall grade. He signed with the Bengals in the offseason. So um, I don't think they can just, you know, plop. Um, oh, who would you just say? Ross Blacklock. I don't think they can just plop Blacklock in there and it'd be instant replacement. So I think that's significant as well. So did they get better or worse on paper, Joe? I'd say worse. I mean, you you could just show me that they lost DeAndre Hopkins, and right. I would say worse. It doesn't matter. Yeah, nothing else matters, right? No. no. Unless they got one of the top two or three receivers. And even if they did, even if they had gotten Judy or somebody in this draft, it doesn't matter. You're giving, you're giving up. That, that's why I was in favor of, of 
the Colts getting Buckner for the 13th pick. I would rather have a proven, proven 26-year-old than a, than a highly regarded rookie because these guys have done it. Hopkins has done it year after year. I go back. I just, I just, I can't understand how you get rid. It's almost like the Colts trading Quentin Nelson in two years because I, I, you just don't get rid of elite talent. It almost seems like Cliff Kingsbury got like a dirty picture of Bill O'Brien and like blackmailed him into trading him DeAndre Hopkins. You never know. Uh, we'll move on to the Tennessee Titans, also an AFC playoff team from a season ago under uh, head coach Mike Vrabel and quarterback Ryan Tannehill. Uh, re-signing Tannehill, significant. Uh, re-signing uh, Derrick Henry, significant. For sure, those two, uh, very uh, integral offseason uh, moves, we will say, for the Titans. Also, you add Vic Beasley off the uh, rather outside linebacker. Um, I think he led the NFL in sacks a couple years ago. If he didn't, he had like 16 or something. He had a bunch. Um, Jonathan Joseph as well. I told you we'd come back to old JJ. So uh, T.Y. Hilton still has uh, his, his best defensive friend in the division. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, and even on offense too, there's they the the Titans really did have kind of a revamping this offseason of what they're going to look like moving forward. Um, Jarrell Casey, a defensive tackle, traded to Denver, very good defensive interior defensive lineman, and he was uh, not happy about that. No, he was less than pleased. Logan Ryan, cornerback, still a free agent now, but was a Big contributor last year. You figure Jonathan Joseph steps in and kind of takes over that role. Linebacker Wesley Woodyard was a significant player on their defense for several years. He is still a free agent. Delaney Walker, one of the best tight ends in all of football in the past five years, we will say. Certainly one of the most reliable. He's a free agent right now. Um, Cameron Wake as well, off outside linebacker, gone. I mean... Marcus Mariota goes without saying that he was going to be gone once uh, Ryan Tannehill stepped in and did what he did. And your kicker, Ryan Suckup, is also a free agent. He's gone. Tajay Sharp was, a, I think, a reasonably high draft. I don't know. No, it was another guy who was the reasonably high draft pick. That's um, I think that was Corey Davis that was on their roster, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, I think yeah. he's uh, – but Tajay Sharp was, was another receiver that they drafted a couple years ago, but he's gone. So they really do have some turnover, guys, but – if you bring back Tannehill and you bring back uh, Derrick Henry, um, I forgot to say Jack Conklin at right tackle. That it's, that slipped my uh, my gaze, which is certainly a significant loss as well. Um, you are you then you hope his replacement is the guy you took in the first round with pick 29, Isaiah Wilson, uh, the tackle out of Georgia. Uh, so you, you look at you look at what they lost. Um, they're, they're, they they lost a bunch, but they're trying to I guess. Re- I don't know. I just look at it and I think they lost a lot. And I just I think there are a lot of questions for the Titans, particularly on the defensive side of the ball when it comes to to what they're going to look like next season. That's me. And one, and one thing is, as much as the Colts are investing and hoping and expecting from Philip Rivers, Ryan Tannehill, uh, $118 million extension, $62 million guaranteed. Uh, and, and how many times have guys had that have average or above average quarterbacks gotten that and and not lived up to it. So with big contracts go major, come major expectations. If he plays like he did last year, 
this is a quality team, quality team with, with what Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry's just been a, he's been a monster the way he's, he, he's carried the load and been there. Uh, but a lot, a lot of changes. I still like the way they're built. They, they've tried to, re, they, they've sort of done what the Pacers have done. They've tried to reboot without falling back too far. And I think that may be what they've done. I still think, I still think the AFC South comes down to the Colts and uh, Tennessee and uh, but I, I like what Tennessee's doing. I just want to see Tannehill do it again. Yeah, I would add that, you know, I think not having a reliable backup with Mariota leaving is something that could end up being a big deal this season. I mean, um, Tannehill hasn't played a full 16 game se- season since 2015. He's had a lot of injuries. He missed all of 2017 with the ACL tear. Um, and their backups are currently Logan Woodside and Cole McDonald, both seven round, seventh rounders who have never thrown an NFL pass. So if Tannehill gets hurt again like he has in the past, someone's got to throw the ball for Tennessee. You can't just give it to Derrick Henry every single play. So I think that's something that could end up being a big deal this year. And again, again, I'd put them in. The, I'd put them in that eleven and six, eleven and five, ten and six. You know, type of record, and because again, I think they've got the right pieces in place in the right spots. Uh, better or worse on paper? I don't know Ooh, if they got I, much I, better. Yeah, I, I think they're treading water. I, I think they're about where they were. <laughs> I really do. I would say they got worse. I mean, they they lost a you know good veterans and Logan Ryan, Jack Conklin, and yeah, they spent their first two draft picks on a a tackle and a cornerback to replace them. But like you were just saying, Mike, you'd rather have the proven entities. Um, You don't know what those rookies are going to give you. Um, They just traded away Jarrell Casey and didn't do a whole lot to replace him. I'm sure. Was he a three or time pro bowler? He's made the pro bowl each of the last five seasons. So he's been very productive for them. I'm never, I'm never a a fan of getting rid of proven talent. Uh, And I don't think it was like there's not been a major drop off in Casey's production. So I understand trying to get younger and getting better, but right now all they did was, all they did was get younger. Jacksonville Jaguars got uh, more are Jaguars. We really gonna t- are we really going to talk about Jacksonville? I don't think we really need to. Um, they, uh, they, they had a huge draft class because they had a zillion picks and uh, they're all probably going to see time. Um, just as you throw guys on the field and see what you can do and see who sticks. But uh, how about former Colt Al Woods being a veteran offseason acquisition? Uh, so they'll at least have some leadership on the defensive side of the ball in the locker room. Uh, one of my favorite guys, Chris Thompson, running back. I really do like Chris Thompson a lot because I knew him once again. He's a kid who went to Florida State when I was down in Tallahassee. Really nice guy. Uh, really enjoyed uh, any uh, interaction I had with him. So I like Chris Thompson. I'm glad to see he's still in the league, even though he's basically my size. Um, but he's obviously much more athletic than I am. And so so props to Chris Thompson. But yeah, we don't need to go too deep into the Jacksonville Jaguars, only to say that the Indianapolis Colts had better beat them in week one of the 2020 NFL season. Well, look look at the subtractions. Calais Campbell, Nick Foles, A.J. Boyd, Marcel Darius, Marquise Lee. Once again, they they're in, I think, which which is probably their, their third reboot uh, of, of the franchise. I was about to say, and, okay. and oh, by the way, you get rid of Nick Foles, and right now your quarterback of the future, present and future, is Gardner Minshew. 
And uh, hey, you, you kind of hope for the kid that it works. But again, he 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 just whenever a quarterback, a young quarterback shows flashes, you want consistency. So their 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 season of either being mediocre or awful hinges on how well Minshew plays. I just looked back on the um, the, the tweet that uh, that Leonard Fournette sent in the offseason of the uh, the fresh pit Prince clip of Will Smith just <laughs> kind of looking around at the empty room, saying. What the heck? Where where is everybody, Joe? And, and people and people really were were thinking he was going to be gone. Yeah, yeah they, they tried. <laughs> they tried. They didn't have any takers for him. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, like you said, they're rebuilding again. They have a ton of draft picks. Um, in, interested to see what C.J. Henderson and Clavon Chason do for them, young cornerback and edge rusher who they drafted. Um, we didn't even mention Yannick Ngakwe who. Technically exactly. hasn't been moved, but he certainly um, has put his foot down and said he's not going to play for Jacksonville anymore. So you could probably slide that under um, subtraction. So Jacksonville full on rebuild. Hopefully he can give the Colts a couple easy wins this year, but we'll see. The Minshew magic might uh, might come back to bite the Colts. Like 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 Dave mentioned, if a lot a lot of times you you can overcome losing an opener, losing to the Chargers last year. In overtime, okay, that was sort of expected. If you go to Jacksonville, I don't care if, if you get home by the officials, if the ball bounces squirrely, if you come back from Jacksonville 0-1, shame on you. Still, I think they just need to run the ball 50 times and to run it down Jacksonville's throats. They couldn't stop it last year, even after Mac broke his hands. Just keep it going. Keep it going. Mm-hmm. Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor, all day long. If you have any questions for the Colts Blue Zone crew, you can submit those to us on Twitter, at Colts Blue Zone. A couple more months now until the uh, the official start of the NFL season, we hope. Uh, we hope. Had a little bit more discussion about COVID earlier today. I did not see all that coming, but we got into it a little bit just because there seems to be other stuff going on with it around the, uh, the NFL landscape right now. So I'm sure more will happen over the coming weeks. Um, it is the end of July when the Colts are at least scheduled right now to report to training camp, but teams that were scheduled to report just one week before the Colts have been pushed back. So who knows, maybe at this time next week, we'll be talking either about confirmation or more pushbacks in the NFL, uh, training camp reporting line. So we certainly hope, uh, that right now, no news is good news that you still plan to do something at, at the start of the, uh, at, at the proposed time, but. Nevertheless, we'll we'll keep our ear to the ground to see what could be changing in the NFL over the coming weeks and the coming months. Hopefully not too much as the 2020 NFL season is coming up on us shortly. So this has been the Colts Blue Zone podcast. We thank you for downloading and listening. Please subscribe. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week. You can follow us on Twitter, as I said, at Colts Blue Zone. I specifically am at Dave G underscore sports. Mike Chappell is at mchapel 51 and Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. So we'll see you next week on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Mm-hmm.